My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website at hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. We talked in detail um, just about the purpose of the law, uh, because after all, if the law can't save you, if it can't do all of these things, which they were all hoping that it could, then what was the purpose of the law? So that's what we talked about all last week. And if you missed that message, you can go check it out online tomorrow. It's not up right now, so you can you can check that out tomorrow. Um, but uh, anyways, so Paul told uh, the Galatians that the law was like a schoolmaster, right? That the purpose of the law was to teach them and to kind of bring them up to maturity. And, uh, and that maturity, of course, is salvation in Christ and a walk with the Lord. That, so that was the whole purpose of the law, was to bring them up in maturity, to be a guardian, if you will, of them until they were pointed to Christ. And so that's what we talked about last week and um, and uh, this had happened to the Galatians they had seen basically the depth of their sin through the law and they cried out to God for mercy and God through his grace extended it to them um, and the Bible says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and were truly saved and they had reached maturity in regards to what the law was for. So they had reached maturity. There was a, there was a purpose in the law for them and it led them to it. But the problem is, as we've always talked about, they started to add um, to their faith the law again. And that's kind of what Paul's going to hit at today just a little bit um, is kind of get onto them just a little bit for that uh, and to kind of try to snap them out of that. Um, it's not the law that saved uh, and they knew that it wasn't just the law that saved. That's why they accepted Christ to begin with. Uh, but it wasn't, now it was becoming, it's not just Jesus that saves. It's Jesus plus something else. And so, um, so it's kind of a hybrid of the two. So, and what this produced, and this is, we're going to talk about this in length uh, just for a little bit, because this is why I love preaching through, um, you know, scripture, because it brings up things that I wouldn't normally, um, you know, necessarily think to talk about, right? If you're, if you do kind of topical style preaching, um, which I think, you know, there's, there's a time and place for that. Uh, sometimes you won't, you won't teach things that you, that, that you normally wouldn't teach. Like you would be thinking of other things, but whenever you preach through scripture, it kind of forces you to talk about things that you normally wouldn't think to talk about. And so one of those things is that we're going to talk about today is something called legalism. Have you guys heard that word before legalism? Yeah. So it's kind of, um, we're going to talk about what that is, but what we're going to talk about today is more like what is legalism and what is holiness and what's the difference between the two? Like, how can we tell the difference? Am I being legalistic or am I just seeking holiness? Am I seeking holiness or am I actually being legalistic about something? So that's going to kind of be what we talk about uh, today to kind of open this up because in this chapter uh, where we're going to be in verse eight, he's going to talk about some legalistic things that they're doing. And so I think it relates absolutely to us because we can get caught up sometimes in legalism. So my job today is to stand up here and to make sure that number one, you're not falling into a legalistic mindset, confusing it for spiritual maturity. But I also want to make sure that you're not avoiding legalism so much that you fail to seek holiness. Does that make sense? So that's something that we need to make sure uh, that we 
kind of have in check, all right? So let's talk about it for a second. Uh, legalism is not to be confused with someone who is genuinely seeking holiness, all right? Just because someone is seeking holiness doesn't mean we just slap a label on them as a legalist, okay? So let's talk about an example here. Someone who does or does not do something because they feel like it is honoring to the Lord is not necessarily a legalist, all right? Someone who cleaned up their language, someone who stopped going to the club, stopped listening to certain music and watching certain movies, and instead started spending more time at church, listening to worship music, reading their Bible, and watching nothing but Veggie Tales because they feel like it helps them in their pursuit of being made into the image of Christ is not a legalist, okay? They are not a legalist but they could be. Someone who does all of those things because they think in doing so, it puts them in a right standing or a better standing with God is a legalist, all right? So you've got to be careful. Someone who wears a suit to church because they feel like they're honoring the Lord is not a legalist, okay? But someone who wears a suit to church thinking it earns you more favor with the Lord than someone else is a legalist, all right? We've got to be careful of that. So uh, is it possible, this is a good question, is it possible for someone to be more of a Christian than someone else? Well, the answer to that is no. It's about as possible as, as Eli being more of a child to me than Ellie. Okay, so there is no more. One person cannot be more of a child of God than someone else. But is it possible to be more of a mature Christian than someone else? What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah, it's possible. It is possible. But here we go. Don't be so quick to assure yourself. And I have to be, I have to not be so quick to assure myself of my maturity just by what I do and what I don't do, okay? So spiritual maturity is for sure shown by how you carry yourself. It can be seen on the outside. Spiritual maturity can be seen on the outside, but it's also who you are when no one is looking, all right? So sometimes we can think, oh, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and say I'm super spiritual because I look like this in public, but it's better to, it's better to kind of judge who you are in private as far as who, of, of how mature you are spiritually necessarily, all right? Um, what you do and what you wear does not earn you more or less favor with God. It can bring more honor and it can bring more glory to God. And your desire to bring him glory is pleasing to him. But put, but put, uh, better put, you're not, you're not in, you're not in better standing with him though. All right. And remember where that desire to bring him glory comes from in the first place. Where does that come from? It comes from him. That desire to bring him glory comes from Jesus. So you can't even think you're spiritual because you desire to bring him glory. All right. Because that didn't even come from you to begin with. It came from him. It was a gift from Christ. And any favor you have of God upon your life is not of your doing. All right. You didn't do anything to get that favor. That favor was a gift to you from Christ when he took your unrighteousness and gave you his righteousness. So. 
Now, God does tell us to be holy as he is holy, okay? The scriptures say, be holy because I am holy. There is a way a child of God behaves, but it's not for favor, it's from favor. Does that make sense? So a lot of times we have that backwards and we're like, oh, God is pleased or, you know, uh, I am holy. Uh, I'm a child of God and I am holy because I am seeking his favor. But, but it's, it's from what's in our heart out of gratitude. So legalistic obedience boils down to pride and self-accomplishment. That's what a legalistic mindset. And we all, I don't know about you guys, but I've run into some, some legalistic people in my life. Um, I just have. And they think that because they do certain things that they are more spiritual than other people. Uh, and they look down on other people because they feel like that they should have the same convictions as they do. And we're going to talk about that here in a little bit, but that's a very dangerous, dangerous place to be. All right. At any point, your obedience becomes about you. It becomes legalistic. So if it's for your salvation or if you make these rules and regulations in order to convince yourself that you are spiritually mature, you are practicing legalism. All right. So I want you to listen to this word uh, from God um, for the Colossians in chapter two, verses 20 through 23. I'll read this to you guys. I'm sorry I don't have sermon notes for you guys today. Um, but just listen into this scripture because this is so good. All right. It says this, you have died. This is what he's telling the, the Colossians. All right. This is what God is telling them. You have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. You see, he's talking about the law here. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. Then here's what he says. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desire. All right, that's straight from the Lord. It is God himself saying, why are you following all of these rules? Yeah, you look spiritual. You're, you're denying yourself of things. You have this, this pious obedience and you're, you're having this self-sacrifice, so to say, this strong devotion, but uh, that's not what makes you spiritual. You see, we don't need rules. We don't need things we can do to make us fear, sp feel spiritual. We need something or actually better someone who will get at the core of this. Someone who will take away our desire for sin. The following the law, following works never takes away your desire for sin ever. The only thing that takes away your desire for sin is putting your faith in Christ and allowing him to change you from the inside out. No one has ever followed all the rules. No one has ever followed all of the law and came away saying, man, I just love God. What always comes away is going, man, God is such a bummer. That's what, that's what usually comes from that, right? Just because you appear to have strong devotion by your self-denial and your severe bodily discipline is what scripture just said. It doesn't mean you're spiritually mature. It doesn't mean that you're maturing spiritually. And it doesn't mean that you're pursuing holiness. And maybe you took the TV out of your home. Maybe you went to camp whenever you were in youth and the guy said, let's burn all our secular music. 
and you put it in the fire and you were like, let's do it. That's back when you had CDs, right? <laughs> or tapes or whatever. And you threw it in the fire and like, yeah, we're going to burn them all, right? Just because you only wear certain clothing, just because you homeschool your children or you move to another state to plant a church. If you did all of those things for spiritual maturity and not from it, it's all pointless and you're only kidding yourself. You're only lying to yourself. Evil desires aren't conquered by the things you do. They are conquered through God's mercy and grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there are spiritual disciplines. Now, I don't want you to hear me say this, all right? I don't want you to hear me say that, oh, well, then we don't need to do these spiritual things because I don't want to be a legalist, right, about things. See, that's the opposite end of the spectrum. We can't necessarily do that. There are spiritual disciplines that you can and should put into place, okay? Scripture's very clear about that. There are things in Scripture that is like, do this, don't do that. And being obedient to those things does not make you a legalist, it makes you obedient, all right? But there are some things, there are some, and Mike even talked about some of these things that are kind of hard set rules across the board that everyone should follow. He kind of hit on these on Wednesday night. Um, and, I, and, and there are things like uh, being in the word, Man, that's great. That's a great discipline to have, okay? I think you should be in the Word. I think that you should pray. I think that you should go to church. I think that you should memorize Scripture. But there are other things that are just, just personal convictions. And by the way, going to church is not just a personal conviction, okay? It's not. Reading your Bible is not just a personal conviction. Spending time with the Lord is not a personal conviction. This is stuff that's straight like this is what God tells us, how we should function as believers, okay? But there are things that are just personal, personal convictions that are given to you by the Holy Spirit. And it may be different for you than it is for me. I can tell you right now that I'm not even the same person with the same personal convictions that I was in high school or college because we grow, right? And I will tell you that we could sit around, and, and I hate it when churches do this, but you, we could sit around and we could say, all right, what do you think about blah, blah, blah? You know what, you know what happens? You get a divided church because we're not all going to be on the same wavelength when it comes to personal convictions about things. We're going to have some different ones. And you know what? We need to be okay with that. Whenever Paul was talking, um, I want to say, oh man, somebody help me out. Is this uh, 1 Corinthians whenever he's talking about don't eat meat? Or like he's like, these people eat meat, but I, whenever I'm around them, I you know eat meat when these people aren't. And he's like, look, they may, be, they may not understand that we have freedom from the law and that it is okay to eat meat. But he's like, but when I'm hanging out with them, I don't put them down. I don't say that they're not spiritually mature. You know what I do? I just go ahead and I refrain from eating meat because I want to be all things to all people. And so he's like, I will do that. I'm not going to put anyone there. We're not going to fight about it. We're not going to argue about it. That's not how we're going to operate, right? And that's not how we're going to operate as a church. Now, if you're walking around and you're going, well, I personally, what was that? Anyways, uh, if you're walking around going, well, I personally believe that there's nothing wrong with adultery. We're going to have an issue with that. All right. Like we're going to have a talk about that. And uh, we're, we are going to have to come head to head with that. But on some other things, we don't necessarily have to do that. Um, it's when you start thinking that those convictions should be everyone's convictions and they are sinners. If they don't see it the same way, it becomes legalism. Okay. That's when it becomes legalism. Here's an example. Uh, I had an older guy uh, in a church that we were at 
um, back in Oklahoma, okay? And, uh, and this guy, he was always in my office about things. Always. Whenever our pastor ended up moving on and going to a different church, um, I was the one left in charge. Yeah, the guy that was just out of college a few years is now in charge, right? That church doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> it's not my fault. Um, but I know, I know. But, uh, but, but whenever I was there, this guy was in my office constantly. We had, we had a um, fall festival. All right. And uh, that's that's spiritual talk for like a Halloween carnival. OK, we had a fall festival and we're hanging out and, and right before the fall. And I'm saying like we we do the, like what we did last year. Right. Where we had the games and everybody came in. They played games and we gave out like boatloads of candy. Right. Well, same thing happened uh, at that church. Fall festival. All these comes come in. They play games. We give out tons of candy. Well, this guy is an older gentleman. He walks into my office and uh, man, I used to have an office. Those were the days. And uh, I walk, I, he walks into my office and he sits down across from me. He's like, Greg, I'm like, yeah, I don't understand why we're giving all these kids candy. We're just killing them. Okay. <laughs> this is going to be a good meeting, right? It's like, yeah, we're just killing them. Okay. Well, what do you suggest? And he had in his pocket, a little box of raisins and he pulled it out and he said, why don't we just give like little boxes of raisins? And I was like, you know what? If we give out boxes of raisins, ain't nobody coming to our fall festival. All right. This is outreach. Okay. Like this isn't going to happen, but he was convinced. He's like, nope, you're in the wrong because we shouldn't be sugaring up our kids. It's killing their bodies. It's like all this. Uh, fine. Do I believe that health is an important thing? Yeah. Like we're not going to sit here and argue about those kinds of things, but he was thinking that we were in the wrong because of his personal conviction about the thing. He's like, you guys are sinning. This is the way it should happen. He's also the guy that came up to me because I was doing music as well. And he came up to me and he was like, we should never have drums in church. And I was like, you're my favorite person and uh, we never should have them. And I'm like, okay, what's up? Nope. We should, I mean, it just, we should, I think they're, I think they're sinful. I think that, uh, you know, we should have a piano and an organ, but other than that, there shouldn't be anything else on the stage, you know, and I'm sitting here going, what do I do with this? Like, I don't even understand. Uh, and, and I mean, it was, it was sinful for our church to be doing that. Well, here's the thing. And, and this is kind of what I found out uh, a little bit later. And it actually kind of taught me a lesson because I pressed him on the issue a little bit. And I was like, why don't you explain to me where you came to that personal conviction? And I made sure I used the word personal conviction. And uh, where did you come from? And he said, well, can we get honest for a second? I said, please. And, uh, and he said, well, whenever I was not saved, I spent all my time in bars, all my time. And, uh, and he said, I would go to church every once in a while. But, and I knew that maybe I should probably get involved in church, but that's, but I spent all my time in bars. I was drunk all the time. I was going from bar to bar and he was like, and, and he goes, and I just want to be honest with you. When I got saved, it radically changed my life. I was like, me too. And he said, and when I came to church, it was so good to get away from an atmosphere that was unlike the bars. Because they all, they had the, you know, they had the bands, they had the, I mean, the music, the, all the stuff. What I realized was that as we started introducing drums and we started introducing guitars, in his mind, it took him back to a place he never wanted to go back to. That humbled me a little bit. It did. 
Um, was he still being legalistic? Yes, <laughs> he was. Because he was trying to force his personal convictions on us. And he was trying to say, I am convicted in this manner. You should be convicted in this manner as well. That's personal conviction, all right? I know a guy who was in college ministry, like he was in college, he was involved in like a local campus club that uh, was a Christian club. He was a worship leader. He was a small group leader. And he felt completely convicted about drinking, right? Hot, hot button issue, by the way. Felt completely convicted about drinking. And he even mentioned it to some people. You know, I really don't feel like that, you know, um, I just really feel like the Lord is calling me away from that because I, I am now a, I'm in a leadership position. And this is through his prayer time, his time with the Lord. I'm in a leadership position. And I really don't think that I should be doing this uh, because I do not want to hurt my witness in any way, shape or form with anyone. And, uh, and it was a personal conviction. And then some people were like, man, don't be legalistic, right? Don't, don't be legalistic about that. Like where in the Bibles that say you can't drink, right? I mean, Paul even told Peter to take some wine because his stomach was hurting. It, you read in Psalms and it talks about how wine brings you joy and it makes you happy, right? And, and you know, all of, all of these things that are being said. And, and that person walked away going, yeah, I don't need to be a legalist, right? Well, see, what's the problem with that? That was a personal conviction. And for, and for that person to then walk away from that, being convicted by the Lord and walking away and just saying that it's legalism, that legalism pushed him away from holiness, pushed him away from seeking holiness. And how do I know that person? Because that person was me. That person was me. And I was so convicted about that. And I just thought, I don't want to be legalistic about it, right? I just ran the other way. And you and I should be pursuing holiness but don't turn that pursuit into legalism. But on the other hand, don't fear legalism so much that you justify sin in your heart and neglect the pursuit of holiness. We've got to be careful with that. Ignoring personal conviction is not spiritual maturity. Ignoring personal conviction is a sin. Um, so there are two extremes, right, that we just talked about. And, uh, and you and I can be either at any given moment, at any given moment. In fact, if we do some digging, we can probably find some areas that will describe both in us if we do some digging. I'll bet we could find some legalistic tendencies that we have, but I'll bet we also could find some areas where we're failing to seek holiness because we're afraid it's legalistic. So we've got to search our hearts for that, all right? Both both are temptations. Both should be avoided and both are in the, op in the opposite direction of grace. All right. And in opposition to grace. So always remember, always remember this. Holiness produces humility. Okay. Legalism produces arrogance. Always remember that. So the law can be tempting, by the way, uh, and, and it can be tempting to, to kind of sway towards that legalistic mindset because the law in itself can be tempting. And you're like, Greg, how? How in the world? Like the law is a burden. How can it be tempting, right? Uh, it can lure us in, like lure us in with the seeming ability to measure ourselves and our achievements. We can look at the law, in other words, and we can see how good we are. 
in comparison to other people by how much of it we follow. Okay. Like, I don't do that. Oh, I'm measuring myself. And it can be a temptation to say, I'm going to follow the law so that I can have a real uh, gauge on how spiritually mature that I really am. If we do that. All right. Um, And it can puff us up into thinking that we are spiritual giants, but here's something to consider. What if, what if a tactic of Satan is not to get us to do all the wrong things, but what if it's to get us to do all the right things with the wrong spirit? Do we ever think about that? When is it, when, 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 when Satan can use obedience? Yeah, he definitely can. What if he wants you going to church and leading small groups and teaching your kids to follow all the rules because it fools you into thinking you are doing such a great job keeping your eyes off the actual giver of life. And I'll say this is the case for the people that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 21 to 23. I'm going to read this for you. And this describe this describes these people, all right? Here's what he says. Not everyone who's, this is, by the way, probably the scariest scripture in all of scripture, because he's talking to people who think they're saved. They think they're believers, okay? Uh, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear that? Not everyone who confesses that he is Lord from their mouth, right? Not necessarily in their heart, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then... Will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are religious people he's talking to, and they are also not true children of God. This is what legalism can do. This is what Satan can do. He can trick us into thinking that we are saved because we say that he is God, because we say we believe in him, because we even pray and call him Father and call him Lord. We work in the Sunday school. We we. Run the lyrics at church. No offense, I think Tamara's saved. But like all these things, you know, all these things that we can say, oh, look at me, look at what we did, right? And in that, and then, and it's saying in that moment, Jesus is going to look and he's going to, and he's going to say, depart from me. Why? For I never knew you. I never knew you. This is the product of legalism. And we've, we've, oh, we've got to be careful of that. All right. So that right there is a very long intro. Because we don't have a, we're only going to hit a couple of verses today, but we have to have that background in order to really understand what Paul is saying here in the scripture. Okay. So I want you to look at verse eight in uh, Galatians chapter four and, uh, and let's read this just for a moment. Okay. Here's what it says. Do you guys have your Bibles open? If, if, okay, if you can, if you can scroll, let's go back up to verse one, just for a second. Because verse one through seven really kind of talks about what we talked about last week. All right. Um, But with my OCD, if we skip this, then there'll be seven verses that we actually never read in this book. And I don't want to do that. All right. So let's look at four one real quick. It says this, I mean 
that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved. This actually is going to come out in this next set of scripture here. We're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And then we're going to go into verse eight right here. Formally, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. And let's hold on to it right there for just a second. At this point, we're reminded that Paul is not only speaking to people who were Jewish of Jewish background. Some of the, some of the church in Galatia were Gentiles as well. So when he came and planted the church, he planted a church with Gentile converts and Jewish converts. Those Gentile converts came from a very different background but really, if you think about it, not so much of a different background than the Jewish people, because the Gentile converts came from uh, pagan uh, rituals and pagan beliefs and beliefs in pagan gods and things like that. Right. Um, and they had turned from paganism to grace. So that's what the Gentiles did. The Gentiles turned from paganism, right, to grace. And that was kind of a really big deal. The Gentile Galatian believers came from a life of religious slavery. And you're like, hold on, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Religious slavery. If you, it's when you are involved with a certain religion, not based on truth, but solely based on fear of what would happen if you weren't in that religion. That's being a slave to religion, okay? You're in that religion not because it's true. You're in it because you're afraid to get out. That's being a slave to religion. How many of you guys know somebody like that? Yeah, me too. I know some people like that as well, right? And there are actually people who call themselves Christians that fall into this category, as well. Okay. We'll talk about that in a second. So in pagan life, they felt they needed to do certain things to appease the gods. You guys probably studied these in school, uh, whenever you're looking at history and all that kind of stuff. Um, there was a God of rain. There was a God of harvest. There was a God of fertility, uh, basically a God for everything, right? And if you did something or didn't do something and it caused them anger, you could be in big trouble with them. You may experience a season of drought or a season of infertility. And, and this was living in fear, saying, I can't get out. I'm too afraid to get out because what if this is true? And what is it going to cost me to get out, right? And so you're like, well, what's keeping them there? Well, it's fear. Fear is keeping their, them there. Uh, what keeps someone in an abusive relationship? Fear. Fear for the life. Fear for their children's lives. Uh, fear of the unknown. So what keeps someone in a false religion? It's fear. Fear of being ostracized by family. If you were to all of a sudden convert to another religion. And by the way, that happens in real life. Uh, people are ostracized by family by going somewhere else. Um, and so there's a fear, right? But the Gentile Galatians came to a realization and they said, oh, this is all a lie. All of these gods that we've been believing in, whenever Paul came in and he was like, I need to tell you guys about Jesus. 
They sat and listened to it and the Holy Spirit opened their hearts to the truth and they were like, hey, wow, all of these other gods, they're not real. And so they became converts and they actually came to Christ and they left this paganism and they followed grace instead. And now they were no longer enslaved by the other religion. That's why he's saying that right here in that verse. Whenever he says, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Okay. And so they had been set free. They were set free. They were absolutely set free. And the Jews who converted from a law-based salvation did the same thing. They left a prison of fear-filled religion and were set free by the grace of God, no longer bound by the curse and the chains of the law. So they both experienced that. And I hope that you're catching this real quick because Paul's fixing to say, hey, you guys who were following the Jewish way of faith are no different than the pagans. No different. It's all the same. You're all just going through the motions. It's a religion is all he's saying to them, right? Uh, so here's what he says in verse nine. He says, but now that you have come to know God, and then he backs up a second. He's like, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. He's basically saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? I labored to free you and you are going back to immaturity. That's what he's saying. You're going back to slavery. You're going back to elementary principles. All right. When I was younger, when I was like, I don't know, five, six, seven years old, right? I went to daycare. My parents, they worked. They were like, hey, what are we going to do with our kids? We're going to put them in daycare. The name of my first daycare was Lil Britches. Try saying that to all your friends in a cool way. Where you go, Lil Britches? <laughs> the second one, we finally graduated from Little Britches, and guess where we ended up going next? Buttercup. Yeah, real cool, right? We were in Buttercup Daycare until like nine, right? Ten. Can you imagine Eli being like, hey, what's up? Oh, man, you guys want to hang out later? Eli's like, no, I got to go to Buttercup. <laughs> like, that's, what, that's what it was. But so, I, you know, I, we, and, we, and we were there. But then I remember, that, I remember the day that we aged out and we were able to not go to Buttercup anymore. And we were able to actually stay at home by ourselves, me and my brother. Did anybody do that? Was anybody that? Man, I remember getting off the bus and being like, we're free to do whatever we want to do, right? And, uh, and so we would like, you know, hang out at the house and, and again, play outside, do whatever. But we were free, right? We had graduated from that. And then as time moves on, you want to talk about growing quick, go to college, where your parents are no more there, right? And you've got no real support. You're like on your own. You actually got a bill in the mail and you're like, what is this? Do I pay this? How do I pay this, right? And so, you know, you have like responsibilities now. And then all of a sudden you get out of college, you gotta find, you gotta grow up. You gotta find a real job. You gotta go and try to provide, you get married? What are you gonna do with that? You gotta provide now? Then you're having children, like all of these things. You, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, time goes by and you're like a straight grown up, right? I mean, you are just living out on your own. You're far away from, you know, family. You're far away from anywhere else. But here's what I don't do, right? 
Here's what I don't do. I don't wake up every morning and go, I need to go check in at Buttercup. Why? Man, that was the elementary stuff that I needed to help raise me to be to where I am today, right? I should call the people at Buttercup and Little Britches. Thank you for helping me be who I am today. But I don't go and check myself back in. But here's the thing. Oh, I lost my place. Please hold. I got a really good, this is good. This is going to be good. I'm just telling y'all, hang up. Remember Buttercup and Little Bridges? <laughs> uh, where was it? Oh, man. Oh, please hang on. Golly, my intro was so long. <laughs> All right. Yeah, now I'm like scrolling. I'm like, good gracious. What's wrong with this? <laughs> David, you got that? You just edit this out and be like, so let's start it right here. Here's my point. All right. In the same way, all right, I was once lost a prisoner of my own religion, right, that I had concocted in my mind, which was out of ignorance and immaturity. All right. So basically, I was a buttercup and little britches believer, like back in the day. I wasn't even really a believer. It was just, it was, it was my own religion, my own thing. Okay. But then I gave my life to Christ. I realized my own sin uh, and, and, and my need for a savior. That's what the law did for me. I understood that I was a sinner and I was in need of grace. And so I started to mature. I gave my life to Christ. I left my elementary uninformed beliefs and became fully mature in him. And I am now living in that mature state saved by grace what I don't do is run back and put myself in the daycare of living under the law again. That's what he's saying that they're doing. I've graduated far, far, far beyond that. And he's saying, why in the world are you going back to elementary? Why are you doing that when you have matured into grown, mature believers? Why are you running back to the elementary things of the law? You do not need to do that. Um, so the Galatians went back into living in observance of certain days, if you notice what it says there, uh, as if in doing you know, that, that they're gaining favor with God. Uh, but this is just legalism. That's what it is. And that's what he's saying that they're doing. If you look at that scripture right there, um, he says, but now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? He says this in verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years, and I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. So why is he saying that they're going back to elementary? What's the example that he's using? He's saying you're going back to celebrating these days again. You're going back to celebrating these months again. You're going back to celebrating these years again. You're celebrating these things and you're doing it not because you love God. You're doing it because you think that it's going to bring favor upon your life. And that's what he's saying that they're doing. And one of the tragedies of legalism is that it gives the appearance of spiritual maturity when in reality it leads the believer back into a second childhood of Christian experience. And there's nothing wrong with observing certain days in celebration. All right. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, hey, you're going to be a legalist if you start to see that's going the opposite direction. Okay. It's going the wrong way. Celebrating Christmas or Hanukkah or Easter or church on Sunday. The problem is when we observe them like slaves, hoping to gain some sort of extra favor with God or pretending it makes us more spiritual. We observe not for freedom or spiritual maturity. We observe from freedom and spiritual maturity. So celebrating anything out of duty 
and, and maybe you guys can give witness to this. I know I can. Celebrating anything out of duty rather than desire produces a sense of bondage, not blessing. Say that one more game, okay? Celebrating anything out of duty, that's what I'm supposed to do, rather than desire, that's what I want to do, produces a sense of bondage, not blessing. And in fact, it's no celebration at all. Ask any person who was dragged to church. Any person. Ask any person who it's like Mother's Day and it's like, got to go to church with mom because today's Mother's Day right? Or it's like, oh, it's Christmas. This is the day we go to church. Oh, it's Easter. This is the day we go to church. I haven't met one of those people. We call them Christers, the Christmas and the Easters, right? I've not met one of them that are just like, it's a joy to be here, right? No, it's like, yeah, I came because this is what I'm supposed to do. This is it. They're doing it out of duty, right? I know people who are in churches today that are like, just get this over with. You know why? Because I used to be one. I used to be one. Let's just get this over with. Why? Because I was doing it out of duty. I was not doing it out of desire. And it felt like I was in bondage. It felt like I was in bondage. I was not free. I was, it was not a blessing to be at church. But man, when God changed my heart, church went from a burden to a blessing. And now I cannot wait for Sundays. I cannot wait for church, right? Because it's just a joy to be with other believers. It's a joy to be under the word of God. I remember um, reading my Bible. I heard all the time, you're supposed to read your Bible. So I was like, okay, I'll read my Bible. But every day I'd wake up, I'd be like, I don't want to read my Bible. I don't get anything from it. I don't understand. But when I was radically changed, it went from being a duty to a desire. And it changed everything. It changed everything. That is what we need in our lives. Um, listen to this. Jesus didn't say, I have come so that you may have religion. He said, I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Man, if your religion doesn't feel like life, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. All right. The Gentile Galatians, Jews for that matter, left religious slavery for grace, but they are returning to slavery. And Paul cannot stand to watch it happen. It's as if they left this abusive relationship and he's having to watch them turn back to it. Uh, false religion says God is only thought of on special days. A spirit-filled life says God is a part of every moment. So in closing, I do want to address this verse at the very beginning, though, of the passage, um, where he says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again? There is a difference between knowing God and being known by God. All right. And I know that's kind of weird sounding, but it's like God knows everybody. Right. But we just read the scripture a second ago when he said, depart from me for I what? Never knew you. Well, that's kind of confusing. Right. But it's talking about that intimate knowledge of someone where they are your child. Right. Like I can I can know about you or and I can know you. Right. I can know my kids and I can know some other kids but I know my kids, right? And that's what this knowledge is right here. Um, if I walk up to the White House and I proceed through the gate and I'm like, no, it's cool. I know Joe Biden. It's cool. Let me in. Are they going to be like, oh, right this way, sir. Right? No, it's not going to happen. What's going to happen is they're going to be like, yeah, you, you need to come with us. And they're going to then throw me out and they're going to say, please do not try that again or there will be worse consequences, right? So me knowing Joe Biden is not getting me into the White House. But if I'm at the gate and I'm like, no, guys, I know Joe Biden. And they're like, yeah, yeah, no. And then, and then he walks out. 
And then he's like, hey, Greg. I'm like, Joe, what's up, Joe? And he walks out, oh, hey, guys, it's cool. Like, I know him. Well, then they're not, they're not going to throw me out. They're going to go, I mean, you need to sign in or something probably. But yeah, let's take your temperature. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we need to take your temperature and you can come in. But uh, you got your mask? Okay, good. Um, but I'll be welcomed in. Why? What makes the difference there? He knew me. Well, man, that's what makes the difference. I can't just walk up to the gates of heaven and be like, it's cool, everyone. I know God. No, it's when God comes out and goes, I know him. I know him. He's mine. Covered in the blood of Jesus that I'm going to be welcomed in right there. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, but now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again? Because what is the law? It's just knowing God, but it's not being known by him. All right. Total difference. Total difference right there. All right. So you and I, we need to make sure in our lives that, that God knows us and we don't just know him. And, uh, and guys, and listen, we do not need to turn back to that life, that elementary life that was just being enslaved to a religion that brought bondage and brought bitterness and, and just brought no joy, Right. It's so much better living through grace and having this joy and, and being able to, to see everything as a blessing. And we're not working for God's favor, but it's so much better working from his favor. Do you guys find that you're more obedient when you're working from favor than for favor? Yeah. We find ourselves more obedient. That's it. That's it. So don't, don't go back because once you start, once you start you know, finding, finding obedience as, as a burden, you're doing it wrong. Your motivations are wrong. And that should be a moment that stops you dead in your tracks and going, where's my heart? Where's my heart? Why am I doing this? What's the purpose of it, right? And, uh, and so I'm so glad that that is included here in this scripture for us. I'm so glad that he put that in there because I don't know about you guys, but I can have a tendency to see things in a legalistic way sometimes. But I can also see things in a way where it's like, oh, you know, I'm free in Christ to do whatever I want. And then all of a sudden I'm not pursuing holiness. I'm ignoring personal conviction and I'm just going at things, you know, like I want to, right? Both are, both are not good. So I'm really glad that I was able to uh, personally be in the word studying this. And man, I'll tell you what, like after writing sermons, like I always like go back and I look at them again and I tweak things and I do all kinds of things. And this morning, whenever uh, I was going through it again, I just got up early. Nobody else was in the house. And I read through this one more time and I, and I just stopped dead in my tracks, praying out loud, thanking God for revealing these things to me in a time like this right now, because it just helps me to grow into a better follower of Christ. It helps me to grow more into the image of Jesus. And that's what my desire is. I want so bad to be that. And I hope that you do too. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.